0: I'm Tamar Rodney, and you're listening to On The Pulse, a podcast from the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. On this podcast, we take a deep dive into the experiences of frontline providers and researchers. We explore their insights and invaluable stories of how healthcare works in today's world. In celebration of American Heart Month, our guest today is Dr. Diana Baptiste. Diana is an expert in cardiovascular health across the care continuum for underserved populations. She's a principal faculty for the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing Center for Cardiovascular and Chronic Care and a fellow and board member of the Preventative Cardiovascular Nurses Association. Diana, it's great to speak with you today.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Rodney. It is an honor to be here with you today and to discuss all things cardiovascular health.
0: Wonderful. And an important one at that. So can you start by telling us how and why did you get into nursing? I think you've been a nurse for more than 20 years and specifically why cardiovascular health?
1: Oh, thank you, Dr. Rodney, for asking that question. So I've been a registered nurse for 23 years now. And this all started when I was very young. I'm the youngest of five children and my mother, my older sister and my older brother are all nurses. So growing up, we would sit at the dinner table and I would listen to their stories about, you know, what they did at work and what their experiences were like. And they would tell stories about patients. Some stories are really good about the things that they did to help patients get better. And then some of the stories were sad as well. What I learned from them through these stories, I found everything that they did was truly fascinating. And so at a very young age, around 13, I knew that nursing would be for me, that I wanted to be just like them. And I wanted to just play a part and play a role in helping people heal. One thing I always recognized, whether their stories were very sad or really positive, I always recognized that there was a reward in becoming a nurse. And through their experiences, it really helped me build my passion for nursing. As far as cardiovascular health, my interest in cardiovascular health began while I was in nursing school. So in one of our medical surgical courses, we learned about heart failure. There was something that was really interesting about heart failure. And I really took a liking to that phenomenon of how the heart works. And just like the brain, it manages every organ in our bodies. And so... I found myself really interested in working with patients with heart disease because I felt like there was something that I was really interested in, something I knew very well. I wanted to be good at it, and I knew that if I specialized in any type of patient care, it would be in something that I was really interested in making my life's work.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. That's certainly inspiring. Hearing of a family of nurses, that's unusual, but welcoming. And hearing that you're doing something that you love, which makes it so much more rewarding. And so if I could just continue on your work with cardiovascular disease. One of the areas you work in is identifying the risk among, specifically about populations. Can you explain more about this work? And why do you focus on this population?
1: I developed my work in focusing on Black populations a little bit later in my career. When I was working on a cardiovascular unit about 13 years ago, in my experience, I learned that Black populations were more likely to develop heart disease at younger ages in comparison to their non-Black counterparts, And then I also recognized that Black people were more likely to experience premature death as a result of cardiovascular disease. And so this was something that I had speculated while I was working as a nurse on a cardiovascular unit. However, when I began the DNP program at Johns Hopkins University about 12 years ago, I started to really read evidence-based literature on cardiovascular disease and really focusing on why it was different for Black populations versus non-Black populations, as I started reading more literature, I started gaining a better understanding as to why Black populations needed special attention, not just through research, but also through education, community service, and Somehow, I felt like we needed to develop a better connection with the Black populations because if they're dying younger, if they're getting cardiovascular disease younger, it helped me recognize that maybe we were not, as a healthcare system, addressing the gaps. So, as my career progressed outside of working on a cardiovascular unit and leading quality improvement projects and research at the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing, I really started to think about what resources were available and how can I make some type of change within this population? How could I give them the specialized attention that was not being provided at the time? As the story goes, I linked up with Dr. Yvonne Commodore-Mensa, who is an associate professor at the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing, a great colleague who was already doing this work. Her work started out looking at the risks amongst West African immigrants. And so I really wanted to engage in this research and look at how the cardiovascular risks differed amongst other Black populations living in the United States. And so, inspiration from Dr. Commodore Mensa, I decided to look at Black populations in the United States, those that were foreign-born versus those who are U.S. born. What we found in this research is that cardiovascular risks amongst African Americans can look very different amongst other Black populations, such as African immigrants and Afro-Caribbean Americans. And so that was quite interesting. And for myself, coming from an Afro-Caribbean background, as my parents and my family being Haitian immigrants, I recognized that this work was truly important because we were putting all African-American people or those who have African ancestry or identify as Black, we were putting them all in one box. The wonderful thing that came out of this work is that we presented this as an oral presentation to the American Heart Association, and this work was very much well accepted. It was published in the Journal of American Heart Association, and so we are continually working with the Epi Lifestyle Council at AHA to continue developing very culturally tailored interventions and also culturally tailored risk assessments for Black populations of cardiovascular disease. So this work is really quite very involved. I do enjoy doing it, but it's not an easy journey. And we are really excited through the Cardiovascular Center at the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing to continue this work, also looking at other ethnic minority populations, such as those from Latin America, from Asia, and other ethnic minorities who are living in the United States.
0: Thank you for taking the time to explain, and it's sobering hearing these numbers, but I would love for our listeners who might be interested to hear what specifically are some of these risks that would put Black populations and other ethnic minorities at higher risk for cardiovascular disease? What are some of these risks that we should pay attention to?
1: Oh, that's a great question, Dr. Rodney. So really across the board, no matter what group you are studying, the cardiovascular risks are the same. So the six major cardiovascular risks that we pay attention to as researchers, the first one is for people who have high blood pressure. Another risk would be people who have high blood sugar or diabetes. High cholesterol remains a great risk for coronary heart disease. Physical activity plays a big role in our cardiovascular risk. So those who are less physically active are at higher risk for cardiovascular disease. And then also weight. For people who are overweight or if their BMI is in the category of obese, they also have an increased risk for cardiovascular disease. And then finally, the last risk is smoking. Smoking cigarettes and e-cigarettes continuously serve as a risk for cardiovascular disease. And so recently, another risk that we are paying attention to that has been added, sleep hygiene or poor sleep hygiene per se as a cardiovascular risk. The research finds that people who sleep less or don't sleep well will be at higher risk to develop cardiovascular disease at some point in their lives.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. It feels like it's hot off the press, but not only are you identifying risk factors, but areas where we can intervene. And I just wanted to draw attention to something you said. You're a DNP prepared nurse, and that gives you some special skills where you get to literally translate evidence into practice. Can you tell me how this influences the work that you do, that you get to practice and research at the same time?
1: It is quite exciting to be involved in research and practice at the same time. For me, I think that the greatest reward of my work is when the work that I do is implemented into a clinical practice guideline. And so what that means is that typically national organizations like the Preventive Cardiovascular Nurses Association or the American Heart Association, what they do is they help us translate the evidence into practice by taking our work using our work to create or to influence changes in different guidelines. And with these clinical practice guidelines, what happens is this is widely disseminated across doctor's offices, hospitals, and other healthcare organizations. And it really informs, these guidelines will inform different treatment plans and sometimes even prescriptive plans uh, for patients across the United States. And so this is really a very exciting part of my job is I really do enjoy working locally with hospitals in guiding quality improvement projects. And then also on a regional and national level, taking my work to inform different patient care guidelines or what we would call clinical practice guidelines. You know, the reason why I chose a DNP degree is because I really wanted to have that very direct line into clinical practice while conducting research.
0: That's wonderful. Um, not many people get to say that they do something that they love and they can do it in multiple settings. Your work also extends to social justice issues. And in many ways, this is tied into the population that you're looking at. So can you first tell me what are some of the issues that are affecting Black populations, why they suffer these cardiovascular risks more, and how does it influence their health outcomes?
1: Social determinants of health are is something... And that's really near and dear to me and something that I always consider in my work. So when we're talking about Black populations and their cardiovascular risk or the incidence of cardiovascular disease amongst Black populations, we find that race alone is not a risk factor for cardiovascular disease. There are many other factors that go into why Black populations develop cardiovascular disease at early ages and why their morbidity is so alarming. And so when you're thinking about social determinants of health, really socioeconomic status has a lot to do with why Black populations are not receiving the care that they truly could benefit from and live longer and live healthier. So when you have a lower socioeconomic status, you are more likely to have less access to good quality health care. Health care access has increased with the Affordable Care Act. However, we still have a problem with the access to quality health care. One of the social determinants of health that really stand in a way for many populations, especially those who are Black or People who not just socioeconomic status as a barrier, but also pe- transportation. There are many ways that healthcare access is the biggest umbrella. However, if they don't have the means financially to access the healthcare, or if they don't have the transportation to access healthcare, that could serve as a huge barrier and it could result into missed appointments. Many people who have socioeconomic issues may not be able to afford their medications uh, due to high co pays for prescriptions. Another big problem that we have that really is very much evident in the East Baltimore area where Johns Hopkins is located is that we have food deserts. Many of our Black populations are living in urban cities that don't have access to healthy food. Lots of urban cities like in Baltimore, Chicago, parts of New York City, they may have stores within their neighborhood, but the stores do not carry fresh food. So they are pretty much left to eat packaged foods that have a lot of sodium in it, frozen foods, canned foods, also lots of sodium. And this is hidden salt. Having a healthy diet is an important part of managing cardiovascular disease. And for populations that cannot afford or cannot access healthy food, they will have worse cardiovascular outcomes over time. So this is a huge concern. Other social determinants of health include education. The literature states that the lower the education level, the shorter the lifespan for a person. And so again, when you're looking at the data, looking at Black populations versus other non-Black populations, Unfortunately, we are less likely to have college education in certain areas, and sometimes that can serve as another barrier. One more barrier that I'd really like to mention and talk to you about, Dr. Rodney, is digital literacy. And this is a word, a term that's kind of new to the healthcare community, and we just started using it right around the COVID-19 pandemic. As the pandemic emerged in 2020, a lot of healthcare organizations started to offer telehealth services for patients. And so with that, telehealth was supposed to really improve healthcare and increase healthcare access to all populations, and it did. However, for those who have social determinants of health that have lots of barriers, telehealth could actually serve as a barrier rather than a facilitator to healthcare access. So sometimes, and specifically, if a patient does not have what we call digital literacy, if they don't know how to work video conferencing, then the telehealth appointment may not go well or it may not happen at all. And so, so much to consider with social determinants of health. Social justice issues also play a role. Going back to talking about Black populations and their mortality and morbidity when it comes to cardiovascular disease, a social justice issue that really sticks out is racism. We find that racism has always played a role in producing negative health outcomes for Black populations. And so when you read the literature about social justice and racism in Black populations, what you will find is that there's racism in healthcare that really does cause an issue for Black people who are seeking healthcare. The problem is that there are still a lot of harmful stereotypes amongst healthcare providers who believe certain things about Black people. One of the really well-known harmful stereotypes is that Black people genetically are predisposed for heart disease, which is not always true. Another harmful stereotype is that Black people can endure pain better than any other race, and that isn't true. And so often because of these harmful stereotypes, the complaints or the requests from Black patients go either dismissed or unheard.
0: I can hear your passion coming through and to say this is a complex issue is an understatement. What can nurses do in general to address some of these identified social determinants of health that are negatively impacting cardiovascular health and disproportionately so to Black populations?
1: Yeah, I think nurses are in a really good position to be a part of the solution. And my advice to nurses is to meet patients where they are ask questions about their experiences. Diversity, equity, inclusion plays an important role in all that we do as nurses. However, diversity does not stop at race or education level. Diversity really is about learning about the experience of others, learning about their traumas, learning about what has gone on in their lives to bring them to the point where they need to seek health care or need some type of help or resources. So My advice for nurses is to meet patients where they are, and not just mentally when you're talking to them in the hospital and asking questions, but also meeting them in their communities, volunteering at churches, community centers. You can learn so much about people who look different, who live differently than you by just really observing and asking questions and learning from them. Another piece of advice that I'd like to share with nurses is that patients are not their disease. They are people. And so I encourage you to always put people first. And instead of saying, I am taking care of a diabetic patient, we want to say, I'm taking care of a person with diabetes. And that's, that really makes a world of difference.
0: I completely agree with you. An empowered patient is one that will take better care of themselves essentially, but also trust the provider that's bringing that to them. And I love your message about meeting individuals where they are. So tell me, where are you meeting individuals these days? And do you have any research that's going on right now that you would like to share?
1: Yes, absolutely. This makes me smile. I love talking about our recent project right now. Dr. Commodore Mensa and I are both co-investigators on a project that is funded through Pfizer and the Preventive Cardiovascular Nurses Association. With this project, our goal is to increase awareness amongst African-American communities about high blood pressure and atrial fibrillation. And for those of you who don't know, atrial fibrillation is a dysrhythmia that is chronic, often not curable for many. With this dysrhythmia, the heart goes into kind of like a panic mode, constantly. And what it does is that it it increases the risk for stroke and also heart attack. So really important. A lot of people in the community are not aware of atrial fibrillation until they are diagnosed or someone in their family has been diagnosed. So within this project, we are working to increase awareness about high blood pressure and atrial fibrillation amongst African-American populations. And what we do is we hold screening events at different African-American churches in the Baltimore area. We started out in Baltimore City and then branched out into the Baltimore County area, which is heavily, both heavily populated with Black populations from all walks of life. We have a group of nurse volunteers. Many of them are uh, DNP and PhD students from our School of Nursing. And they team up with us and we do these high blood pressure screenings. And again, we're meeting patients where they are. And so as we work with this community, our participants sign a consent. And so after they sign a consent, we do an EKG, which we use a portable EKG to detect for atrial fibrillation. And after we have completed the screening, we provide a counseling where we provide American Heart Association and Preventive Cardiovascular Association education materials to help our patients better understand why we're doing this for one, and if they do have high blood pressure or atrial fibrillation, what their next steps should look like. In this education plan, we talk to them about lifestyle changes. Should we have patients who actually are newly diagnosed high blood pressure or atrial fibrillation, we also provide them with a referral to community resources and primary care providers who they can follow up with as well. We also do telephone follow-up. We follow up with them within a few weeks. And then again in three months and then within a year to see how they're doing and also to gauge if they have any more questions, if they need any further information. And also as we are checking how they're doing, we're checking to see if they have followed the healthy diet or, you know, if they're getting frequent follow-up medically. And if they're not, we continuously guide them with the support, counseling, education and resources to do so. What I want to say is about Black populations is that it's not all bad. And so many of our Black populations are thriving. Many of them are doing the right thing to prevent cardiovascular disease. Many of our Black populations are well-informed. And so that is really exciting. And that really helps us recognize that our work is, is good. And for those populations that need a little bit more help, we recognize where our hard work is needed.
0: I think that's a plug for nursing research is you get to do something exciting and you meet wonderful people. We look forward to hearing the results of that study. And I would like to ask you one last question. As we celebrate American Heart Month, what would be one piece of advice you would give to all of us regarding how we take care for heart health?
1: American Heart Month is my favorite month. You know, We should be focusing on heart health all year round. However, American Heart Month is just so exciting because it's our annual reminder about how important it is for us to take care of ourselves and our families. And for my advice for American Heart Month is to just check out, as nurses, please check out all the resources that are on the American Heart Association page or the um, Preventive Cardiovascular Nurses Association. They update their pages quite often. And what it does is just really helps us as nurses recognize the role that we play and how we can really work with our patients and families and communities and helping them become healthier. My other advice is during American Heart Month, if there are opportunities to volunteer in your community, go for it, engage, put on a red shirt, a red dress, dress in red and represent American Heart Month and also represent heart nurses and get out there and be a champion. Get out there and and campaign into your community, whether it's at your church, a community center or school, get out there and start talking to people and reminding them about how heart health is so important and that we all want to live very long, healthy, and full lives. And so this is something that we all can do together and empower our community members, empower our friends, our families, and help them recognize that hearts are wonderful. Heart gives us wonderful emotion. It pumps blood through every organ. Um, It helps our brain stay happy and healthy. So we need our hearts to look good and feel good.
0: Diana, one way to describe our conversation today might be heartwarming. Listen to excitement and passion in your voice as you tell us about the wonderful work you're doing. So thank you so much for joining us today. Your work in heart health has takeaways for everyone. So thank you for all you do to improve heart health.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Rodney. It has been a pleasure to talk about something that I really love doing and I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thank you to everyone for listening to this episode of On The Pulse. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with someone you know and subscribe through Apple, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can also find us on the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com slash nurse. Be sure to also check out our On The Pulse blog and Johns Hopkins School of Nursing podcast, Aging Fast and Slow. You can learn more about the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing at nursing.jhu.edu. Thanks again for listening.